Um, there we go. So, a little somber way to start service. Um, but uh, I loved that last line. Um, I choose thankful. Sometimes we don't think thankfulness is a, is a choice, but uh, the truth is it is, and that's what we're going to talk about a little this morning. Um, I don't know what your traditions are for Thanksgiving. Uh, when I was younger, my brothers and I would start the day off with a game of football. Um, we lived in a neighborhood for a while, so it was in our backyard, and then we moved to the city, so it was in the street. Um, but we loved starting the day off with football, and then the football just continued through the rest of the day. You were eating a meal, watching a football game. You then went and watched a football game and fell asleep on the couch, and then you ate pie and watched more football. So it was all around football, but the great thing about starting the day off with football is uh, what came afterwards, right? It was just the rest of the day was just a bunch of guiltless eating all day long, and it felt wonderful. That was a while ago, and, and to be completely honest with you, um, things have changed for me. Now it's just a day of guiltless eating all day long. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I'm looking forward to this season. Um, if you know much about um, the history of Thanksgiving at all, Thanksgiving started um, as a colonial response, and then it became a community's response, then it became a national response to God's provision and God's pr protection. And what's amazing about this is, is uh, that it kind of became this universal thing, right? Feeling thankful was kind of this, this universal experience for, for everybody. Um, good things happened, and, and people responded, and as more people began to see what was happening, more people began to, to respond to it. it. It kind of carried out, and it, it still does today. Whether good things have happened in our lives that we're thankful for, or even if we're on the other side of, of this, this rough stretch, there's this, this response. And, and, and sometimes it's, it's a choice that we make, but really for most of us, it's, it's this kind of intuitive, instinctive response, isn't it? It's almost like an automatic feeling. Something good happens or, or we get out of, of this bad experience and we can't help it. There's just something inside us that, that's thankful. And we all express it in different ways. Some of us will say things like, you know, thank goodness. Other people will say, thank God. But all of us thank somebody or something somehow. There's just this, this intuitive thing in all of us to kind of respond to whatever we've been through, to whatever we've just overcome with thankfulness. And, and no matter how we do it, the, the truth is we all can't help it, can we? It just kind of happens. And, and it kind of happens to us because that's how we were made. But, but there's this really interesting thing that when we, we don't respond with thankfulness, um, when we don't express our thankfulness or our gratitude, we, we create this, this gap in our relationship, don't we? There's this gap kind of forms where there's this unexpressed gratitude. Or, and, and what's interesting is this unexpressed gratitude, even though we may be feeling grateful, we may be totally thankful for whatever it is we've been through, this, this space begins to fill in, the, in a relationship that, where there's this kind of like unfinished business. There's almost this, this glitch in the relationship. Something should be there, but it's not there. And, and it begins to, to undermine our relationship if we're not careful. The longer it's there, the more it continues to undermine it. And if you've seen this happen in other relationships, the relationships even begin to fall apart, all because we didn't express what we were actually feeling on the inside. And you know this, there's very few things that, are, that sting more than ingratitude, right? There, there are some things, but there's very few things that sting more than ingratitude, because ingratitude just kind of communicates, I, I don't really see you, I don't really recognize what you've done for me, I don't really recognize the help that you offered, I don't recognize your sacrifice. Almost what, what it could be interpreted as is, really, you owed me that. I deserve that. I, I worked hard. I got it. I deserved all that's coming. I deserve you doing that to me. I don't really appreciate what you've done. I just enjoy what was given to me because, after all, I deserved it. And gratitude stings, doesn't it? It, it stings because it, it isn't neutral. It, it's the opposite of what we expected. It's the opposite of what we feel perhaps that we earned or, or even what we deserved. Some gratefulness, some gratitude. 
and it hurts. Another odd thing about ingratitude is that the other person, they really didn't do anything to us, right? If we're on the side of feeling like, like we've been perhaps taken for granted or that we deserve some gratitude and we didn't experience any gratitude, they didn't really do anything to us. The truth is they didn't do anything, right? We felt we deserved something and they didn't give us what we deserved. They just didn't do anything. It's kind of like you're playing tennis and you volley the ball over the net and they just stand there and watch the ball bounce and trickle down and hit the fence. I thought you were going to do something, and they just watch. F- few things are, 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 are more painful than experiencing that kind of ingratitude. And, and if you're a parent, you, you know this. Few things are more uncomfortable than pointing out someone's ingratitude. Right? If you ever had to do that in a relationship, like, well, I thought you'd be more, more appreciative. I thought you'd at least say thank you. Like, it feels weird to be bringing that up to people because then if they say, well, sure, thank you, it doesn't feel genuine. And now you're even more upset because you didn't get the gratitude and the gratitude they gave you feels cheap. Right? So you feel awful bringing it up and kind of pointing it out. Well, c- come on, you didn't show me anything. And then they'll say things like this, say, oh, I'm, I'm just, I'm so sorry. And what we hear is this, I'm just so sorry, little baby who needs constant reassurance and affirmation. (laughs) It stings and it hurts a little bit. That's what ingratitude does. Ingratitude is this this strange thing. And the truth is, it's it's not really even a thing. It's more like a lack of a thing. it's it's, It's not always the thing we want, but sometimes it's the thing we get. And it's it's packaged sometimes in silence. Ingratitude it it can also be expressed verbally though. We, we do something instead of saying thank you to people. Have you ever seen this? Maybe you've seen this in your relationships. Right? We, we do something and we hope to be appreciated for it, and then this is what we hear back. We didn't really do it right. You, you paint a wall for someone, and yeah, but you really kind of chose the wrong shade of that color blue. I was really hoping for that shade. and It's like, but where, where's, where's the, the graciousness? Where's the gratitude? Like, look what I did for you. Yeah, but I wish you would have done it maybe just a little bit this way. And even though the person you did it for may be feeling grateful that you did it, the expressed words indicate what? Ingratitude. That they didn't appreciate it. That, that you weren't recognized for your effort for what you put in. That you deserved some recognition and you didn't get it. And worse, you received almost correction for it. Here's another odd thing about ingratitude is that it kind of largely, it it looms uh, for the people who who are the victim. If you're the victim of ingratitude, that's all you can see. If it's in your relationship, if it's between you and your spouse, it's all you see when you look at them. All you see is is they just didn't appreciate or they didn't thank or, you know, they corrected me instead of appreciating what what I did for them. But for the, the perpetrator of ingratitude, they can't see a thing. They look at you like, well, what's, what's the problem? I don't know what you're talking about. It's completely invisible to them. But it's all we see. The perpetrators are completely clueless. And oftentimes, if we're being really honest, that makes the pain so much worse, doesn't it? The recipient is always aware. But the culprit is rarely aware that something's even happening. It's really odd, this thing, gratitude. And if I'm being honest, outside of my family, I have to be careful because it's really easy for me to just kind of cut ungrateful people out. And I know I shouldn't say that with Jim, you're a pastor and you're supposed to love people. And I do. But but when I I generously share, you know, my influence, my time, my resource, whatever it might be, and and you don't appreciate or show any gratitude for that, it's really easy to just once and done out, be gone. So I've got to kind of monitor that, 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 that side of me with with my relationship with God, because that's not what God asked me to do. As a Jesus follower, God asked me to generously share regardless of the gratitude or the ingratitude that I receive. 
But if we're all being honest, my guess is we all feel that way a little bit, don't we? Outside of our family, it's really hard to continue to give and to continue to pour out and only experience gratitude in return. It's really easy for us to just cut the line and move on. You see, we have a difficult time extending generosity when that's what we experience. Because that's not the way things are supposed to be. As a Jesus follower, we should be generous no matter what the outcome is. But if we're all being honest, we've all been there. Uh, here's a reason. Your accidental ingratitude is, is kind of leaving its mark on people. It's undermining your relationship with people. So if you feel like maybe there's a rift or a, a bump in your relationship where things aren't going the way they were, or you notice we're not connecting the way they were. Perhaps your mind may have never went here before, but perhaps it's that somebody's experiencing some ingratitude. And inside you may be completely gracious. You may be completely grateful. But because it's unexpressed, it's experienced as ingratitude from the, to the people you love. Ungrateful people are, are difficult. But the truth is, you may be that person and not even know it. You may be the culprit. And it's all the recipient can see. And, and if we're not careful, people will write you off. And you'll never know because it's completely invisible to you. Really, the only people who speak up are your family. They're going to let you have it. Everybody else in your life, they're just going to cut you off. They're going to write you off. They're going to pretend like you're not even there. You see, it's uncomfortable to talk about this because the truth is, especially for me, there are people who are sitting here or who are watching online or hearing this message who may have experienced a lack of gratitude from me. And it's hard, but I'm really grateful nobody is saying amen. <laughs> you see, it's, it's, it struck me as ungrateful uh, um, what struck me as ungrateful is a story I heard. This pastor was sharing a story about his first experience in a church and working with people and trying to connect with a business owner. And this, this business owner uh, was in a meeting, and then he said he had to run to another meeting. And the pastor said, before you go, can I just get you for a minute? And he says, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I got all the time in the world. He said, well, I thought you had a meeting. Yeah, I'm not really worried about that. Right? Yeah, I, I, they'll be okay. And, and this, this interaction left a mark on me when I heard the story of this man is so completely ungrateful for the staff he had. It's like, oh, they'll be fine. They don't, you know, they're my employees. They're, they're dependent on me. I give them a paycheck. They can wait. They can do whatever I need them to do. He was just simply taking them for granted. And when we're taken for granted, we really kind of feel devalued, don't we? We almost feel a little bit dehumanized. We feel like, like we don't have worth or value in the eyes of the people who should see worth and value in us. Have you ever taken somebody for granted? Have you ever felt taken for granted of? It doesn't feel good. Have you ever felt that way in your relationships? And it's all because of something that you can see, but the person who's perpetrating it to you has no idea. Maybe we just need to all experience gratefulness and gratitude, and not just experience it, but express it as well. So today we're going to talk about gratitude, about not just feeling something, but about experience something and about expressing something as well. <clears throat> Sometimes we feel judged. Sometimes we feel defensive. When people look at us and they say things like, yeah, but you don't even care. No, I, I do care. But, but it, on, it's on the inside. Yeah, but you never said anything. I had no idea. So we get defensive and we get kind of, we respond with, with, with anger almost because they're accusing us. But the inside, we felt this way the whole time. We just never expressed the way it is we were feeling. They don't know how much we care. 
and they felt unappreciated. See, feeling grateful isn't the only thing we need to do. It's expressing our gratefulness. So here's the bottom line of today's message. Unexpressed gratitude. Unexpressed gratitude is actually experienced to the other person as ingratitude. It's the expression of gratitude that matters. It's not just feeling it, it's expressing it. It's not just receiving it, it's expressing it. The expression of gratitude is what actually matters the most, not the emotion. When the gap is created, we need to express it to close the gap, to fill the void so that the relationship can be restored. To put this another way, gratitude and ingratitude, they're relationally determinative. Gratitude and ingratitude actually determine our relationship. They determine for me how safe I feel and how much uh, trust I feel I'm willing to trust you with. How much am I going to trust you with part of me? That's the same way somebody in your relationship feels about you. How, how, how uh, much gratitude they experience or ingratitude they experience determines how much willing they are to trust you with part of them. Gratitude and ingratitude are relationally determinative. Because our hearts, when they experience this, our hearts actually gravitate towards recognition and gratitude. We've said before, it's not always a decision. It's just a response. If you're married, you see this all the time. We, we hope this becomes a permanent part of our, our relationship. But, but here's, here's a tip for you. Don't let anyone outgrateful you in your relationship. But when you're married, don't let, don't let anyone outgrateful your gratefulness for your loved one in that relationship. Outgrateful them. Make it your goal to show them your gratitude because our hearts gravitate towards gratitude and appreciation. So outgrateful them. If you're a middle schooler or a high school student and you want to experience a little more freedom, you're hoping your parents are a little more yes than they are no, I'm going to give you a tip. You don't have to share this with your parents that you heard it from me, but here's, here's a tip for you. If you want to experience more yes than no, if you want a little more freedom, then outgrateful your parents loudly. Everything they do for you, be very grateful about it. And, and here's, here's honestly why. And, and you may not feel this way, but, but a typical teenager, typical middle schooler and high schooler, and you're going to, I know every teenager middle schooler, well, I'm not typical. Okay. But if you were typical, every teenager high school student, they, they kind of respond like this. Well, of course I have nice clothes to wear. Of course I have a room to sleep in. Of course I have more food than I know what to do with. Of course I get a ride to school every morning. They should do that. After all, they're my parents. You see, here's the first thing. Your parents, they're used to being taken advantage of. They're used to be taken for granted. So you showing them that kind of grateful gratitude, out, like that out, I'm going to out-gratitude you kind of an attitude, makes them feel exceptionally appreciated. It'll melt their heart, and you'll win them over. Then here's the second thing, and you need to hear this from me because I don't think your parents will say it. Every person's a volunteer, even your parents. You may think you deserve that from them. The truth is you don't. They don't have to do anything. If they're doing it, be grateful for it. And in the end, you'll get more yeses than you will know. So there's a hint for husbands and for wives. We're going to look at the scripture, at this passage uh, about G in Jesus' life. This is recorded in the book of Luke. And every time, we, we've taught on this before, but every time we go back to this, every time I read it, I feel like in my own life, the bar of gratitude begins to get elevated. It's almost like, like someone turns the knob on the stove on a little, little bit, and it begins to heat up. And all these people who I feel like I should have been grateful for over the last year or a few years, have, have I said it to them? Like, have they heard it from me? I may feel it inside, but have they actually heard it from me? 
Luke, who investigated kind of all of these stories and all of Jesus' life, he starts this, this uh, story, if you will, this interaction with Jesus and, and a group of men this way. He says, now on his way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And if I could show you on a map this section, it's a really kind of small, narrow section of land. It's out in the middle of nowhere. Like no one really wants to go there because it's a border town between two kind of rival groups of people. There's all this racism and and political uh, bigotry and, and religious bigotry. There's all this strife in this area. It's a really small piece of land. And Jesus is kind of traveling along this way. And he makes his way to this really small kind of remote village. He was going into a village, Luke continues, and 10 men who had leprosy met him. Now, I know we don't deal with leprosy much today, but if you were dealing with leprosy back then, there were are all these rules around people who suffer from this skin disease. Leprosy itself, it was like people were, were, were kind of like in between living and dying. Right? They weren't really alive. They couldn't be a part of society. They were kind of excommunicated from society and family, forced to live on the outskirts of town, but they weren't really dead either. They, they were just kind of sent there to, to kind of eke out an existence before they die. So they're forced to live in between life and death, watching from the outside everybody else living. As a matter of fact, there's all these laws. There were laws that were created to kind of keep this, this, uh, these leprous people out of the city. They were concerned that leprosy was contagious by contact. So everybody was forced to kind of live outside of the town and observe what was going on. And if they needed anything, they could come to the border to, within a certain distance of a town. And they could shop or you know, trade for goods, whatever it might be. So there's this group of people, there's these 10 men who we find out later because it's in between this this Jewish and Samaritan land, this kind of small area of land that this group of men is made up of both Jews and Samaritans, uh, of these rival factions of people. And, And we'll talk a little bit about why that's listed later. This doesn't have much to do with today's message, but I think it's so interesting that this group of men who's made up of completely different types of people, people who typically would be at war with each other, who hated each other, because of their religious differences and political differences, that when there's enough shame, pain, and alienation, all of that goes away. That when somebody experiences enough shame, pain, and alienation, all of the political and religious strife, they're not front-burner issues anymore. They just kind of go away. And 10 men from completely different backgrounds, completely different religious ideas, found a way to live together and eke out an existence. So in the first century audience who Luke's writing this to, they're reading this, and they're not at all surprised. Well, of course these 10 guys are, are living outside this really small village and forced to watch society continue. They were lepers. That's what they did. There was this horrible disease, and they had to stay out. Well, these men are on the outside of town, and they see Jesus walking in. So they got as close as they could. They kind of came to the, the edge of the border of how close they could get to town. They see Jesus walking in. They know him only by his reputation. Luke continues, he said, they stood at a distance, and they watch him. They have their faces covered, because that's what you had to do when you had leprosy. They stood at a distance, and they watched. This was the first recorded um, example of social distancing, by the way. <laughs> social distance, watching Jesus walk into a town with their faces covered. And they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. It's really interesting. They stand at a distance, and they yell out to him, and and they yell out to him, Master. You see, that term was only ever kind of like used or like put aside for those following Jesus every day, for his disciples. And these men most assuredly were not his disciples. 
but they recognize Jesus at a distance from his reputation, and they call out to him this term of endearment, this term of, of authority and power. Master, I don't really know who you are, but I know your reputation. And if you know that what I'm experiencing in my life, what I've just been through, Jesus, then you would know this. If what it was said about you was true, you're my only hope. Desperate times called for desperate measures. Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Luke continues, when Jesus <coughs> saw them, he said to them, kind of shouted to them, because remember, he's in town, they're at a distance. He just kind of turns around, and he says, go! And they're thinking, go? Well, that's not exactly what I was hoping to hear from you. Like, that's what everybody else says, go, get away! Jesus is saying, go! And they're like, oh, where? Jesus finishes, go, show yourself to the priests. And they're thinking, go show the priest what? Nothing's changed. Still a leper, fingers falling off, skin deteriorating. Like, well, we don't understand what it was like for lepers because we weren't, it was a completely different kind of society. In this society, that, that, like success living was dependent on physical labor. You would work and you would work sometimes through pain and through uh, um, hardship physically. So they would work through this with leprosy, their bodies literally deteriorating and falling off. Go show them what? You see, there was this kind of triple intent of Jesus' command here. There was a law that was given that, that anybody who suffered from a skin disease, when they were to be made clean and kind of entered back into society, they'd have to go and show themselves before a local priest. And the local priest would kind of do the inspection, you know, a little physical, sign off, okay, you're good to go. And you can enter back into society. You can enter back in with your family. You can enter back into the workforce. You can enter back into worship. Life could go back to normal. Jesus saying, I want you to go and show the priests. And they're like, well, go, show, go show them what? And he said, well, that's the first intent. You see, you see, the indication here is, I want you to go and show the priests. And on your way between here, me saying go, and there when you get to the priest, something's going to change. You're going to see him, and you're going to get a clean bill of health. But Jesus, I, I, don't, I, I don't even see that. And then Jesus said that there's also this, this kind of third intention in this, is, is that, or second intention, rather, I want you to go and, and imagine 10 men who are known as lepers outside of a town show up to a local priest completely healed. The priest is going to want to know what happened. We have no cure for this. Who healed you? It, I mean, it would be a documented miracle that would feed more into Jesus' reputation. There would be no way anybody would be able to hear this story or see these men and know that God wasn't up to something significant and brand new in the world. He said, go. Go show the priests. And the third intent was, I, I want you to learn to walk by faith. You can't see it yet. But if you really think that I'm your master, if you really think I have the ability, I want you to go. And I want you to present yourselves before the priest before you see anything. I mean, there is a lot at risk in the simple command of go and show yourself to the priest for these lepers. They could go and nothing could change. And now they've embarrassed themselves further. They feel more like they're outside society than they've ever been. But what choice do they have? Desperate times. He said, go. And... They went, Luke tells us. And as they went, the miracle took place, and they were cleansed. These men literally walked by faith. That's a term we throw around in, in the church all the time. We're going to learn to walk by faith. No, this is what walking by faith is. I have no idea of the outcome. Truth is, all facts point against what I'm about to do. But Jesus asked me to do it, so I'm going to do it anyway. It seems crazy. It seems foolish. 
But Jesus said, go. So I'm going to go. And they walk, and the miracle took place. And here's the twist in the story. Here's, here's why we're even talking about this story today. Miracle takes place. All ten are healed. And Luke tells us one of them, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned around and he came back. One of them looked down and said, oh, my God, my finger's back. The skin on my arm, it, it's, it, it's healed. I, I, I'm recovered. And instead of marching along to the priest to get the bill of health that he could enter back into society, he turned around because he, he saw the gap that was created. Somebody did something for him that was completely unexpected, completely out of the blue. He didn't really even deserve it. And he could, he could just continue going on so overwhelmed and so excited with what had been done for him that he would forget to come back around and close the loop and show a little expressed gratitude. He looked down and he saw that he was healed. And instead of marching forward to kind of get back into the life that was awaiting for him, he turned back around. And he came back to Jesus, praising God in a loud voice. I mean, after all, wouldn't you? You were given a death warrant. Some guy said go, and the next minute you got a complete bill of health. And life at this moment can get back to normal. Praising God in a loud voice. I love this. Luke tells us, he then threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. He expressed the gratitude that was on the inside that the other nine, I'm sure, must have been experiencing, but were so caught up in the moment of what had been done for them, they forgot to turn around and thank the one who did it for them. This man came back and he closed the gratitude loop. He said, thank you, and he expressed it. And he said, Jesus, it's not good enough for me just to feel it, but I need to thank you because without you, there was no hope. Without you, there was no answer. Without you, I was forced to live on the outside and eke out into existence until I died. See, he wanted as quickly as he could, as I'm sure all of us would, to get back to living life as normal to get back to his family and to see his kids and to get back to working so we could earn an income, to get back to worshiping. I'm sure he wanted to experience all of those things. But not before he came back around and closed the loop and thanked Jesus for what Jesus had done for him. You see, he went back to the one who enabled him to move forward. He went back to the one who, who, who without him, this man would have had no chance of getting back. He went back to the one who gave him the opportunity to move forward. And then Luke, I, I love how he, he throws this in. This is just kind of the end of a statement, but, but I, I think there's this, this reason that Luke throws this in there. Because if you look at kind of the story arc of Jesus' life in Luke's gospel, it, it, it just fits it so perfectly. I imagine when Luke's even writing this out, he kind of smiles as he writes these last, there are four Greek words, but five English words. He says this, and he, the one, was a Samaritan. The indication there is that the other nine were not. But he was the Samaritan. He was the one who experienced pain and alienation and was never allowed in Jewish society. They were looked at as dogs, as, as worse than people. There was this racism and this hate, yet he was the one who came back and expressed gratitude. 
You see, I think Luke includes this because when you look at all of Luke's gospel as a whole, over and over again, Luke talks about Jesus' experiences with people outside the, the norm of society, with people that, that the rest of society looks down on, right? The sinners, the tax collectors, the Samaritans. Luke records all this, and I think he records it because there's a purpose, because it was these people who over and over and over again continued to express gratitude, because they know what it was like to live with nothing. They know what it was like to be desperate without any measure of hope. And then they meet Jesus, and they're the ones who are the most grateful. They're the ones who show the most gratitude and express the most gratitude. This one man, completely undeserving, threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was the Samaritan. And I'm sure as you're reading this story, you're thinking exactly what Jesus is about to say, what Jesus is thinking. And Jesus asked, well, wait a second. We're not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Or in the group, that interrogative where is kind of put at the end of the statement to show emphasis. It would actually read like this. The nine? Where? Where are they? I could have swore I saw ten of you. I could have swore ten of you left here. Why only one? Something's missing. Some ones are missing. Something is missing. The, The relationship, what I did for you, did it out of the kindness of my heart, but where's the gratitude? You see, Jesus really isn't even asking a question here, is he? He's more making like a stinging observation. It doesn't need an answer. He knows where they are. You know where they are? Not here. He sees it. They missed an opportunity. Something was missing. Someone was missing. The gratefulness was missing. Things were left open-ended. There's this finite amount of time when somebody does something good for you that you need to kind of close the gap and say thank you. You know this as you're a parent, right? Christmas time's coming up, your kids are going to get gifts. What's the first thing you tell your child? Say thank you. And what we really mean is say thank you now. I don't want to go home and have to write a thank you letter or, or like send out a weird email. Like get your thanks in right now. Like close the gap. There's a window and it's coming quickly. And if, you're, if, if you miss it and when the window closes, the opportunity to show your gratitude kind of closes too. It's like you hand somebody a gift. You don't see them for two years. Like, hey, did I ever thank you for that? Like, no. Well, I'll thank you. Like, does it really mean anything? It's like, dude, you had two years. Seriously? Like where are the nine? I don't know. But they're not here. Something's missing. They missed the opportunity to kind of close the window, to close in the gap. See, and when we hear this, I'm guessing we think the same way Jesus does, but I want to encourage us. Let's not judge too hastily and too harshly. Because my guess is, if you found the other nine and asked them, dude, why aren't you, why aren't you like grateful? I'm sure every single one of them would have said, what do you mean? Of course I'm grateful. Look what he did. I was sick. My toe was falling off. I can walk. I I, I can talk. I I, I get to see my family. I'm going to go and have dinner with my kids tonight. Like, of course I'm grateful. But you didn't show it. Say, oh, was that required? I didn't see that in the fine print anywhere. I, I, I didn't know I had to do that. You see, the truth is they felt it, but they didn't express it. And that wasn't okay with Jesus. Jesus saw the one. So where are the nine? Where are the other men that I healed? He continues. 
Luke says, and he says it this way. Has nobody else returned to give praise to God except for this foreigner? Again, question that doesn't need an answer. More of a sinking observation. Of all of them that returned, you would think it would have been the Jews who were expecting the Messiah and had a relationship with God. They are completely ungrateful. And this man, who knows nothing of me and nothing of what's about to come, he's the one who returns. The other nine indications, they're like Jesus. They're Galileans. They're Jews. Where are they? Nowhere to be found but this foreigner. Then Jesus says to this man, one more time, rise and go. Except this time, there'd be no reason for the man to return. Because that relational gap that's created when we experience ingratitude, that gap had been closed. Gratitude was expressed. The relationship is restored. Jesus says, rise and go. And then he concludes with this statement, your faith has made you well. Get up and go. You did the first time. And you walk by faith. And you're well. And now that you came back, we're good. Nothing to worry about. There's three observations I want to make just quickly about gratitude before we head our way and go into Thanksgiving. And I know we have all of our traditions, and sometimes I hear those traditions. We sit around the table, and we just say things we're thankful for. What if we didn't wait till Thanksgiving to express our gratitude? What if we took a little more time throughout the year to think about the people who have done something for us to express that gratitude? Here's observation number one. Unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude. We've been saying this all along. When you feel something on the inside, no matter how grateful you are and you don't say it, the other person receives that as ingratitude. No, no matter how good your intentions are, no matter how grateful you are on the inside, you could be the most grateful person in the entire world. But if you're sitting at the table like this on Thanksgiving morning, you know what that's experienced as? Ingratitude. And for all of husbands and wives and people in relationships, it doesn't cut it to brag about the person you love to other people. You've got to brag about the person you love to the person you love. Sometimes we do that, don't we? I won't tell my wife how much I appreciate her, but I tell the whole church how much I appreciate them. I tell the whole church how awesome she is, but if I never tell her that, it's still experienced as ingratitude. And it, it doesn't make it any better if, if I tell her how much I love her and she's sitting right there. You've got to do it in private. Because the truth is, and if we're honest with ourselves, we, like, we don't always connect this dot, but the dots connect. That when we express gratitude about someone, when that person's there and we're not talking to them, you know what that feels like? It feels a little bit like ingratitude. It feels a little bit like we've been rejected. It feels a little bit like, well, they're only saying that because you're here. You feeling grateful? Express your gratitude. Because when we don't, it comes across as ingratitude. The second is this. We kind of hit on this. Ingratitude feels like rejection. It does. When we don't express our gratitude, it feels like we've actually rejected the people that we, we love. Over time, our unexpressed gratitude has the effect of making the people in the relationship continually feel like they are taken for granted, like, like they aren't being, being thought about in a grateful way, as though they're being rejected. And the gap starts. And the more that continues, the more you don't express your gratitude, the more you, that feels like rejection, that gap widens and widens and widens. And here's the dangerous part. 
our hearts gravitate toward gratitude, towards appreciation, towards acceptance, whether it's real or imagined. So if you're creating the gap here, where are they getting their appreciation and gratitude? We need to feel it somewhere. If you want to have the hearts of your kids, if you want to have the hearts of your, your spouse or your significant other, if you want to have the hearts of your employees, then you have to express your gratitude. If you're completely fine with just you know, having like, their hands and having them do work for you, if you're completely fine just people just showing up to get a paycheck, you know, right? then don't worry about it. After all, he's my employee. She's my wife. It's what they signed up for. Then don't express it. You may get their hands, but you'll never, ever get their heart until you learn to express your gratitude. Because unexpressed gratitude always feels like rejection. Finally, here's the last observation. <clears throat> unexpressed gratitude may indicate an inflated view of self. Another way to say this is people who, are, who don't show their gratitude just feel kind of arrogant, don't they? It, it's interesting to me that we would kind of couple them together. It's almost like you find them under the same rock. And, and here's why. If you've ever felt this way, if, if you've ever felt like, like I, I just have a hard time thanking people, have you ever asked yourself why? Chances are you dig a little bit, and, and here's what you, you begin to find. Well, I feel like I've had to work hard my whole life, and, and they didn't do anything to help. I feel like I, I trained really hard to be really good at this thing, and where were they? I don't have to really say thank you. The, the, the truth is, when we, you look back over your life, over all of your significance, over all of the, the, the accomplishments you've made, whether it's financial or professional, academic, athletic, education, whatever it might be, that, that somewhere along the way there were people along your path who helped. And showing them gratitude is, isn't a sign of weakness. But that's, that's what we feel it is, right? Gratitude feels like an admission of weakness. But, but being able to express that gratitude, it's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of maturity, that you've matured and you're able to look back over your life and, and realize it's not all me. I may have had to work hard, but it was their help and it was their confidence and it was their mentorship and that wise saying and, and, and their support along the way. You have to express it. And, and if you don't, I want to ask you the question, have you ever taking the time to ask yourself why. Why can't you say thank you? Why can't you show your gratitude? And this is going to sting a little bit. But could it be because we're more like the nine than we are like the one? Acknowledging someone's role in our life and what it took to get us to where we are. It shows humility and it shows wisdom. And it shows that we think more of others, perhaps, than we do even of ourselves. And isn't that what Jesus asked us to do anyway? You see, gratitude is the evidence that you kind of have your life in proper perspective. That you wouldn't be where you were if it wasn't for whoever it is that's supporting you. I know, right? It's your mom. Or it's your wife. Or, you know, you marry them and they're at home. Or it's that mentor who took you under their wing. All that's great. Do they know how you feel? And if they don't, what are you going to do to change that? Because it's your job to express the gratitude for what somebody else did for you. So in closing, let's just jump back to Luke's text real quick. <clears throat> Think about what Luke said there for us. 
Let's be like the one who went back to thank the one who enabled him to move forward. Close with this question. Who helped you? Who helped you become who you are today? Who helped you move forward from that incredible time in your life where you just needed that encouragement or that support or that word or that meal, that guy who took you out for coffee and cheered you up, the, the girl who came over and sat down with you while you were, you were crying because of whatever it might, you may have experienced? Who was it who helped you? Do they know how grateful you are? Not what you feel on the inside, because the truth is, my guess is, we're all somewhat grateful on the inside. Have they heard it from your lips? Have they received a note written by your hand expressing your gratitude to them? And if the answer is no, the question is then why not? Are you more like the 10? Or do you want to be like the one? See, that's where we get to decide. Who do you want to be like? For me, for my family, for this church, God, I want us to be like the one. I want us to be like the returner. I want us to be the one who, who said, everything else has to stop. I've got to go back and I've got to close the gap. I've got to close the loop. I've got to express how grateful I am for what you have done for me. Let's not be like the nine. Today, let's decide to be like the one. What better week than what's before you than to take this week and say, this week I'm going to be the one. And I'm going to sit back, and it may take you days to sit back and think through who's helped me, who's done what, who's said, who's encouraged. Make that list. Call them. Visit them. Write a, write a note. I know we never think about that. I'm just going to send a text. Write a note. I don't care how sloppy your handwriting is. Buy a card. Sign your name to it. Express your gratitude. And be like the one who went back to thank the one who helped him move forward. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Lord, for this incredible uh, uh, narrative, Lord, this incredible passage of Scripture. God, I thank you that it would encourage us, God, to take a step forward in our life by looking back on those who have helped us. God, for everyone here, God, if we've, maybe we're so phenomenal expressing gratitude, we hear this message like, yeah, that's me, that's me, that's, that's awesome. God, but for those of us who maybe feel like me and we struggle a little bit to express our gratitude, our thanks, would you help us to take this week, God, to look back God, to look back and to find the ones who helped us move forward and to learn to express our gratitude. God, and if it's really a struggle, if there's something in us that is keeping us from that, would you humble us? God, so that we could look back and we could be like that one who came back to Jesus, fell at his feet, and thanked him. God, help us be like that one to express our gratitude and to move forward. In Jesus' name.